Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. We are in the middle of a series of messages on the Apostles' Creed. Now, the reason we're looking at this creed is, first of all, it's the oldest creed in Christendom. Um, someplace between right around when John died and 10 years after the Apostle John died, the last Apostle that died, we had the Apostles' Creed in basically the same form that we have it today 2,000 years later. Now, the reason that that is significant is not just that billions and billions of Christians have confessed this creed. In fact, in, in the, the second century, if you wanted to be water baptized, the Apostles' Creed was called the rule of faith. And you would have to make the confession of the Apostles' Creed in order to be water baptized. But the Bible says in Jude, the third verse. Now, in, in your Bible is divided in the Old and New Testament. The last book in the, Old, in the New Testament, excuse me, is the book of Revelation. Right next to that, there's a little book. It's just one chapter. All right. But in the third verse, it says to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. In other words, what Christians believed in the first century is what Christians are supposed to believe in the 21st century. Right? There's no change. The faith was given once for all. Right? And so we're going back and we're looking at, okay, what is it that Christians are supposed to believe? Now, it's amazing today that people approach spirituality like a smorgasbord, right? And they, well, I, 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 like, I, I like the tenderloin, but I don't like the Brussels sprouts. So I'm going to take the tenderloin and leave the Brussels sprouts. And, and they try to kind of like custom make their own religion. Well, I like this, but I don't like that. And I like this from Hinduism and this from Buddhism. And I'm going to put this in here with some stuff from Christianity. And I'm going to come up with my own thing. Well, you can have your own thing, but it's not God thing. All right. The faith was delivered once for all. So we're beginning each one of our sessions by going through and confessing the creed together. Right? So let's go ahead. Let's read it together. I believe in God, the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. All right, so we are today going to attempt to look at this portion of the creed. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Acts chapter 2 and verse 27. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor let the Holy One see corruption. In fact, the, the, the creed says hell, but it should say Hades. And we're going to talk in just a moment what's the difference between Hades and hell. But for now, just think of Hades as the place of departed spirits. When Jesus died, his spirit, he said, into your hands, I commend my spirit. He was saying this. He's saying, God, if you don't do something, it's all over. 
And I'm, I'm, I am trusting that my spirit is going to end up in your hands. So that, that is basically what Jesus was saying when he said, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Now, I said it shouldn't be hell. In, in, in your New Testament, you'll find different words. For example, the word hell in the Greek is the word Gehenna. Uh, I believe it's used 12 times. Jesus used it 11 times, which tells you that we know more about hell from Jesus than any other source. Right now, the, but there is a different place called Hades. In Hades is not hell. Right, and, and maybe the best way I can explain it, if you listen, you, you'll, you'll catch this. If a thief is caught robbing a bank, they take him to jail. Right, he gets a lawyer, he goes to court, he's found guilty, and the judge sentences him, and then he goes to the penitentiary. Now, the penitentiary is a lot like jail. But he had to stand before the judge before he ended up in the penitentiary, right? He had to be condemned, found guilty, all right? Hades is like that. Hades is a place of waiting where you wait until you stand before the judge. Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne judgment. And then after that, people are condemned to Gehenna, to hell. But Jesus, when he died, his spirit went to the place of departed spirits. Romans 10, verse 6. As Paul is talking about faith, this is what he, he makes mention of this. He says, for the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss or Hades to bring Christ up from the dead? See, when Jesus died, his spirit descended. Now, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus really lets us see what happens when a person dies. I like to just say it like this. You don't know anybody who died and came back, but Jesus told you what's going to happen. Right? Jesus literally rips back the veil and shows us. Now, in Luke 16, beginning with the 19th verse, Jesus tells a story. Some people say this is one of Jesus' parables. I don't think so. Because he talks here about things that he doesn't do in his parables. He talks about a certain man. And then he gives the name of a certain beggar. Jesus never did that in any of his parables. But let's begin with verse 19. He says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. Desiring to be fed from the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side. Now, when, when Lazarus died, it was his body that died. They took his body, they put it in a pulper's tomb, a pulper's grave. But the angels carried him. See, because you're not your body. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. May the very God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body. Notice he sanctifies you completely. That's, that, that, this is the entirety of your being. You are a spirit. You have a soul or a mind, and you live inside of a body. Now, someday your body is going to wear out, and it will die. Right? When it dies, the spirit steps out. James chapter 2, the last verse, as the body without the spirit is dead. When your spirit leaves your body, your body is dead. All right? Now, 
You, you, you might think, well, you know, look at, I can say, look at me, I'm going to move my, my hand. But my body doesn't really move my, my hand. My spirit tells my mind and my mind moves my hand. The real me on the inside tells my hand to get out there. But how many of you know my body all by itself does nothing? Right? So Lazarus' body dies, but the real Lazarus that lives on the inside of that body steps out. And angels carry him. Right? And they carry him to Abraham's bosom, or he has a place next to Abraham. Now, I was going to continue talking about the rich man. He also died and was buried. Now, he's rich. He probably had the finest funeral money could buy. But being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, and he saw Lazarus afar off at Abraham's side or in Abraham's bosom. And he cried out, and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. For I'm in torment in these flames. That send, let, mercy, send, excuse me, send Lazarus that he tip the, put the tip of his finger in water and put it on my tongue. For I'm in torment in these flames. Now notice, the rich man has also died. They buried him. But where is he? He's in Hades. So we've got a little picture here to kind of help you understand what's going on. Jesus said, like Jonah was three days and three nights in the great fish, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. So inside the earth, there's two compartments, right? One is Abraham's bosom or a place next to Abraham. It's also called in your Bible paradise and captivity. There's another compartment called Hades, right? Now, Lazarus went to that place next to Abraham, captivity or paradise. It's a place of comfort. But the rich man, he goes to this place called Hades, and it is the place of departed spirits of unrighteous people. So he cries out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And by the way, he's in the one place where there is no mercy. As long as you're alive, God can have mercy on you. But once you die, you're sealed. Send Lazarus that he'd put the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in torment in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things. Likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he's comforted and you're tormented. Besides all this, between us there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers. That, they may that he may testify to them. At least they also come to this place of torment. Now notice this. He knows the spiritual condition of his family. You know, your dead relatives, friends, they don't know if you get a new car, but they know when you repent and get right with God. And notice this. He said, I don't want anybody to come here. I don't want my, I don't want my family here. How many ever heard somebody say, I just want to go to hell because all my friends are going to be there? Well, this guy, he's there and he's like, no, I don't want anybody to come to this terrible place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham. And by the way, that's why he's there. He's there because he would not listen to Moses and the prophets. He was there because he wouldn't listen to the Bible. It wasn't enough. But if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But Abraham said to him, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. But I want you to notice a couple of things here. Lazarus is in a place of comfort. Abraham's bosom, paradise, captivity. The rich man is in Hades. It's a place of torment. It's a place of waiting for judgment. 
right? Waiting to stand before the great white throne, ju throne judgment that God is going to have at the end of the, ch of the age. Now, both of them are dead. Both of them have been buried. But the rich man in Hades, he lifts up his eyes and he sees Lazarus and he recognizes Lazarus. So let me just tell you, when you get to heaven, you will recognize your family. Your family will recognize you. All right. And he says, have him just put the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm in torment in these flames. Now, look, his body's in the grave, but he lifts up his eyes. And he says, uh, I want him to put his finger in water and just put it on my tongue. Now, if you have eyes, how many of you know that you have a head? And if you've got a finger, you've got a hand that's connected to an arm. All right. And he said, but their bodies are in the grave. That's right. First Corinthians 15 says there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Now, you're a spirit, but whether you realize it or not, your spirit also has a body. For example, Hebrews chapter 1 says that angels are spirits. Do angels have bodies? Absolutely. They're not a physical flesh and blood body, but they're a body. God's a spirit. Does God have a body? I'm helping you. Okay, I'm helping you. Yeah, remember? Moses said, God, I want to see your glory. God puts him in a cave, puts his hand over the mouth of the cave and went by. And the Bible says Moses saw God's back. So God have a body? Yeah. Is it a physical body? No, it's a spiritual body. So when you die, your body dies, but the real you steps out. And by the way, you're just as much you when you're dead as you are when you're alive. In fact, the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 said, I went to heaven. He said, I don't know if I went in my body or out of my body. God knows. And then he says again, I went and I don't know if I went in my body or out of my body. How many of you think if you left your body home and went to Myers, you'd miss it? <laughs> but Paul said, I went, I don't even know if I had one. And you say, well, how could that be? Because your spiritual body has eyes and hands and legs and can perceive pleasure and pain just like a physical body can. Right? And so their, their, their bodies are in the grave, but they're just as much themselves as they ever were. Right? Remember, the real you is a spirit. The real you is not simply a body. But when, the, when Lazarus died, his body died, but the real Lazarus stepped out, angels carried him. Now, what the Bible tells us is that when Jesus died, for part of that time that he died, he was in Hades. He was in that part of departed spirits, not, not the godly spirits, but the ungodly spirits, those that were not right with God. Ephesians 4, verse 8. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, when Jesus arose from the dead, he led captivity captive. Now, get our little picture back up here. He led that portion, that's paradise, captivity, a place next to Abraham. Everybody that was there, he took them with him. One translation says that he had a train of captives that he led all right. Jesus arose from the dead. He ascended on high. He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now he ascended. What does it mean that he first also descended into the lower parts of the earth? And he who descended is also the one who ascended 
above all the heavens that he might fill all things. There's actually a prophetic account of this in the book of Psalms. As Jesus is raised from the dead, he's bringing that host of captives up to heaven. All the righteous that were kept safe, were comforted, but they couldn't go to heaven because their sins hadn't been paid for. Now, when I don't know if I was four, five, six years old, but my parents took me to Robert Hall's. How many remember Robert Hall's? All you old people. It was a clothing store. It was the Gap way before it was a, 50 years before there was a Gap. All right. And uh, they bought me my first suit. Now, I think the suit was like 20 bucks, but we didn't have 20 bucks. So they, they got me this little suit and we put $5 down and put it on layaway. I remember layaway. We put it on layaway. And the next week we paid $5. The next week we paid $5. And the next week we paid $5. And then we finally took the suit home. And some of you young people are like, that's weird. No, you just, you, nowadays things are weird. But literally, literally what God did with Old Testament saints, their sins hadn't been paid for, so he couldn't take them home to heaven. So God had them in this place called paradise, captivity. They were captives because their sins hadn't been paid for. They had a place next to Abraham. And when Jesus arose from the dead, God took them out of layaway. Because Jesus' blood was paying for their sin. And he took them up to heaven. Right? Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory will come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. He just defeated sin, death, and the devil. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory will come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. So what did Jesus do when he died? Well, he descended. For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Listen, by whom he also went and preached, literally proclaimed, to the spirits in prison, who were formerly disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through fire. You say, what does that mean? That means that Jesus talked, literally proclaimed, to the spirits that were disobedient in the days of Noah. Now, here's what happened. Noah is a preacher of righteousness. And for a hundred years, he's building the ark. And he keeps telling people, repent, judgment's coming. Repent, judgment's coming. Repent, judgment's coming. God is going to send a savior. God is going to redeem humanity. Repent, because if you don't repent, judgment is coming. And Jesus, when he died, he was in Hades and he said to those spirits, he said, Noah told you to repent and you didn't. Noah said that the Messiah was coming, that God was going to redeem humanity. And I'm here to tell you that God did what God said he was going to do. My blood paid for humanity's sin, and I'm conquering sin and death and the devil, and I've got the keys. I've got the keys of death. I've got the keys of Hades, and I am he who was dead, but I will be alive forevermore. He proclaimed what had happened. He told them what had happened. For this reason, the gospel was preached or proclaimed also to those who were dead, 
that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Jesus proclaimed to those that had been disobedient what had happened. Then Jesus arose from the dead. And as he's arising from the dead, he stops off at Jerusalem. And many of you remember this. It's in the book of Matthew that it says that there was an earthquake. And that many of the saints who had died were raised from the dead. They stopped by and picked up their bodies on the way up. And they were seen walking in the streets of Jerusalem. But not only that, Jesus himself stopped, picked up his body. And you know this, when Jesus arose, he did not arise in a spiritual body. He arose in a flesh and bone body, a real body. And let me just remind you, God redeemed you spirit, soul, and body. Your spirit is saved when you receive Jesus. But your body will be saved when Jesus comes back. He's going to raise it up. You say, how is he going to do that? We'll talk about that later, all right? But God is going to raise it up. So Jesus stops by. He picks up his body. The angel has rolled away the the, the stone from in front of the tomb. Now, that wasn't so Jesus could get out. That was so we could see in. And Mary looked, and she saw the body was gone, and she begins to cry. And Jesus comes up behind her and says, what are you looking for? She says, well, they've taken away my Lord's body. Tell me where it is. And he said, Mary. And she turns around and she grabs him. And he says, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Go to my brother and say to them, I am ascending to my father, to your father, to my God and your God. He stopped by. He has not even been to heaven yet. He's just stopped by picking up his body on the way. All right. And then he goes into heaven, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. Hebrews 9.12. He entered into the most holy place. And he took that blood and he put it there and he obtained an eternal redemption for us. It's in Hebrews 12 that it says that we have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Jesus took his blood and put it on the mercy seat in heaven. And the Bible says that blood is speaking today better than Abel's. Abel said, God, give me justice. But Jesus' blood says, forgive them. I've redeemed them. I've paid for their sin. Bless them. Answer their prayers. Deliver them. Heal them. Give them a new life. That's what Jesus' blood is saying. And it is this greatest single fact in history. All other Christian beliefs stand on the cornerstone of Jesus' resurrection. In fact, Paul said, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is in vain. And when you look at what the early church preached, whether it's in the book of Acts or through the epistles, they are constantly preaching the resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection. And that Jesus is in heaven, that we're waiting for him from heaven. He's going to come and he's going to deliver us from the wrath that is to come. But let me remind you, all our valuable things, they're in heaven. God's there. The patriarchs are there. Your loved ones that, are, that have died are there. Our true inheritance is there. The Bible says our citizenship is in heaven. Our eternal rewards are in heaven. True happiness, eternal joy, perfect health. Your eternal destiny and assignment are waiting for you in heaven. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. 
Listen, heaven is a real place. It's not a state of mind. It's not a figment of somebody's imagination. It's not a philosophical concept or a religious abstract. It's not a sentimental dream. It is a real place populated with real people. It's got real streets and real houses and real trees. And God lives there. But one of the great things about heaven, I always think about this when I think about heaven, is what is not in heaven. Right? Listen, Revelation 20.10, and the devil who deceives them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The devil is not there, and everything he brings is not there. So there is no death. There's no rape. There's no, there's no ambulances. There's no sickness, depression, fear. There's no aging, there's no sin, no night, no missing children. Jesus said, moth and rust and thieves do not break in and steal. No abortion, no divorce courts, no bankruptcy, no psychiatric wards. The curse is gone. No natural disasters, no treatment centers. That's just a few of the things that aren't there. No floods, storms, gales, cyclones, hurricanes, blizzards, blackouts, ice storms, pollution, smog, contamination, toxic wakes, pornography, self-ambition, dial-up porn, teen suicide, AIDS, lying, gossip, cancer, drug problems, racial tension, prejudice, no cheating, no drive-by shootings, no misunderstanding, no injustice, no hurt feelings, no fighting, no emptiness, no gossip, no war, no child abuse, no perversion, no worry, no heartache, no accidents, no sexual abuse, suffering, bad habits, decay, bad reports, locks, regrets, sins, corruption, and no more curse. Revelation 22 and verse 3. There is, listen, there is no such thing as a bad day in heaven. But if there was, your worst day in heaven would not be anywhere, as, anywhere near as bad as your best day on earth. Heaven Heaven is a place of reunion. Listen, it says about Abraham, he's an old age. He's full of years and he died and he is gathered to his people. When somebody dies, we have a memorial service, right? And we cry and we grieve. But you need to understand that in heaven, there is a reception service. The Bible says, this, listen, again and again and again, it says they're gathered to their people, right? All of your loved ones and your friends that have gone on before you are waiting for you. And when you get there, they're going to go, ah, you made it. We weren't sure you'd make it, but you made it. And we have got stuff to show you because this place, it is incredible. It is incredible. The rich man, he recognized Lazarus. You're going to recognize all of your friends. And, and I think this is one of the great things too. When we get to heaven, we're going to have a body like Jesus' body. And he said, what does that mean? Well, that, that means that you're going to have, we, we refer to it often as a glorified body. The Bible says that corruption will put on incorruption. Mortality will put on immortality. Right? Literally what happens is you get a body that's perfect. Right? No pain, no wrinkles, no aging, no sagging. I mean, like everything, I don't know if you're going to be 23 or 33 or what you're going to be, but it is going to be perfect. Now, let me just close with this. 
Hebrews chapter 9 says, It's appointed for a man to die once, and after that, the judgment. So this is what it means. It means a person dies, angels carry them, and then they're ultimately going to stand before God. Listen, nobody comes back as a cow. <laughs> nobody. All right? It, don't laugh. There's people that think they're going to come back as a cow or a cat or something. I mean, that would be like going to hell being coming a cat, you know? <laughs> I mean, they even talk to devils compared to a big cat. You know that, right? Okay. I better get off that or I'm going to get emails. All right. But you don't come back because it's appointed for a man to die once. Listen, nobody stays and haunts a house. Serious. Nobody stays. Because when the person dies, angels carry them. Somebody says, oh, but I know that their house is haunted. And I talked to my Aunt Mary that died 30 years ago. I talked to her. No, you didn't. See, the Bible talks about this. And what you talk to, the Bible calls a familiar spirit. It's an evil spirit that is familiar with facts and details about that person. And they impersonate that person, but it is not the person. Again, the Bible refers to them, them as a familiar spirit. All right? Nobody stays and haunts a house. And those that are unrighteous, they're not annihilated. Jesus said this in the same verse. He says, and these will go to everlasting life and these to everlasting punishment. Right? You can't have everlasting life in heaven without everlasting punishment. Jesus put them both together in the same verse. Everybody lives forever because you're a spirit. It's just a matter of are you going to live forever in God's presence or are you going to live forever separated from his presence in a place that's called hell? All right, would you please bow your heads for just a moment? 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone becomes a Christian, he is a brand new person inside. If you're here today and you want a new life, you're saying, I need a do-over. My life's going in the wrong direction. It's not working out. I have made some choices that have set me on a path and I do not want to keep going in this direction. God wants to give you a new life. He wants to make you a new person on the inside. He wants to give you a new heart, new desires, a new love for God, a new love for people. He wants to change you on the inside, even the things that you want. He wants to forgive you and make you a brand new person. And Jesus said, the thief, that's the devil. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what he wants to do to your life. And he will try to guide you into choices that will do just that. Kill, steal, and destroy from you. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. And that you might have it abundantly. And if your life is going in the wrong direction today, what you need is you need a new Lord. The Bible says in Romans 10 verse 9, that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. He'll make you a new person, give you a new start, give you a new heart. And if that's you, I want you to listen very, very carefully. Right? I'm going to count to three in a moment. When I say three, 
I want you to lift your hand. We're going to pray together. God is going to meet you right here in this place. And when we say amen, your past will be gone. You're going to be right with God. He's going to make you a new person on the inside, a part of his family. And he's going to begin to lead you into that abundant life that Jesus has for you. But here's what you need to know. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Your way will not get you to God. My way will not get me to God. Jesus said, he is the only way. So as you lift your hand, you're saying, God, I know I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I know there's just one Savior and that's Jesus. And I'm coming to him today to be saved. One. As you lift your hand, you're saying, God, today, I'm turning my back on my old life and I'm going to stop living to please myself and I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to let him direct my life. Two, now get ready. When you lift your hand, you're saying, God, today I'm receiving Jesus. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to make me a new person on the inside. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. I'm going to be forgiven. I'm going to be right with God. I'm going to be on my way to heaven. Three, Lift that hand up. Say, pray with me. For more information about Res Life, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about Res Life or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616-534-4923.